you guys have a great local board of administration. Um, so a round of applause. I don't know. Thank you uh, for the people who serve on your board. They met Monday night, and we were not playing. We worked for three hours on a bunch of different stuff, hammering out things, and they served faithfully. We actually set a stopping time at the beginning of the meeting at an hour and a half. And we got to the hour and a half, and they said, let's keep going. We've got to get through this stuff. So they're hard workers, and I'm thankful for them in this season. Uh, I've been tasked, as you know, as an interim pastor, and the goals in front of me are the goals that are, well, they're, the goals behind me <laughs> are the goals that are in front of me. Uh, these are the things that the board is tasking us with over the next 10 months to see these things happen here inside the church. And I just want to touch on them again and give you some of the updates about what's going on with some of them. So we're asking the Lord to give us two families in this time. We're asking the Lord to build our worship service to be more intergenerational, more family-oriented. We're asking the Lord to give us three baptisms. It's kind of hidden there behind the cross, but that's a great one. I'm really excited about that. Next Sunday, you're going to hear some stuff about that goal. I'm asking the Lord, we're asking the Lord to develop a heart of familial love inside our congregation where we are more than just acquaintances, but we are family to one another. We're asking the Lord to give us five new members in the church, five to six new mission partners and we're seeking to eliminate the smaller of the two loans that we have. So here's some updates for you. First one, uh, the board made some decisions to see some of these goals accomplished. And the first one's really easy to tell you about. They've committed out of what you would normally be paying in salary and housing and insurance for a pastor. They've committed $30,000 of those funds that you'd normally be paying a pastor to go towards that small loan in addition to that $672 a month that they'll be paying. So that's good. The loan is around $75,000 approximately. That's going to take a big bite out of it, but that's no $70,000. That's just $30,000. If any of you got even a D in your math class, uh, that's simple subtraction there. You should uh, be able to figure this out. We're going to have to step up and uh, contribute to that and seek that the Lord would stir in our hearts to, to provide in that way. Ashley and I have begun talking and praying about how we're going to help see that goal accomplished and the Lord's uh, speaking to us about that. So I'm excited to share that with you. The second one that we talked about in our meeting Monday night was our children's ministry and that would be to touch on this intergenerational worship and this familial love goal. We want to see something good happen with what we're doing with our children. And so today, I want to spend a little bit of time laying out the plan about what's about to change. Uh, we set a change date for September, for the very first Sunday in September. And here are some of the details of what we want to do. We believe in families, and we believe that we as a congregation should know our kids. And there's a key question that every church has to ask of themselves when it comes to children. The question is this, are our children a burden or a blessing? <laughs> yeah, this group right here gets it. Yes, you guys get A+. Plus. Yes, are children a burden or a blessing? Absolutely, they're a blessing. The Bible makes this abundantly clear. In Psalm 127, the psalmist writes, children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from Him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. I love that imagery. It gives us something to fight for. We have to fight 
for our kids. We have to fight with our kids to see success happen. And then you're also familiar with the story out of Luke chapter 18. Jesus is teaching and some parents wanted their children to get exposed and around Jesus. They wanted them to be near Jesus. And so they bring their kids to Jesus so that he could bless these kids. And you remember the, the disciples? For the disciples, children were a burden. The disciples see all these children coming and huddling around Jesus and they start shooing them off, saying, go back home. Jesus doesn't have time for you. He's dealing with the grown-up problems. You're too little. Get out of here. Go home. And Jesus called down his disciples and said, let these children come to me. Let these children come unto me. These are the ones that need, we need to see and see the, the kingdom of God in children. We need to see that. So Jesus loves kids. Amen. That's what you're supposed to say right there. Amen. So here's what we realized about our kids here at Brown Chapel. We've got some, some, some ideas about what we want to see happen. First of all, we want to know our kids. I don't know everybody's name yet. I keep saying that. I don't know all our kids' names yet, but I want to. I want to know who our kids are who are here with us. We want to build the church family, and we believe that the children who are here at Brown's Chapel and those who will come to join us are smart and capable and able to participate in what we do as the church. So we're going to restructure a little bit for the next 10 months. Every Sunday, starting in September... Our children will join us in the worship service up through the preaching part. <laughs> Miss Alice is on board. I got one. All right. Yay! They're going to join us up until the preaching portion of the service. Each Sunday, all of our kids are going to be here with us adults in this time in our service. Then, on the first, third, and fifth Sundays of the month, our children will have a children's church service, much like what they're doing right now. They'll leave at the preaching portion of time. We will pray over them and bless them and send them out to do children's church on the first, third, and fifth Sundays of the month. That means that on the second and the fourth Sunday of the month, our kids will be with us through our entire church service, preaching included. So i got to step up my game. We've got to make this fun and engaging for kids. We're going to do some stuff that's going to take some buy-in from you. It's going to mean that those of you who are volunteering in children's ministry, that you continue to volunteer. We have, and I ex I'm excited in a couple weeks to get to share this with you, um, I'm not shouldering every responsibility that a pastor would shoulder here at Brown's Chapel. There's a team of people who are working with me. That team is still, we're, we're getting one more person connected, and when that's done, the team will be formed. See, I have a day job. I'm like a... a I was about to say Bruce Willis. That's not his name. What's uh, Batman's, uh, per what's his real name? Bruce Wayne. Thank you. Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne, you know, has his day job. At night, he's Batman. And when I'm here, I'm Batman. But I have my Bruce Wayne job, too, uh, that I work there. So here's where I get to be Batman. But Batman also has Alfred, and Batman has Robin, and Batgirl, and the Batmobile, and the Batbelt, and all the Bat things that he uses. And we're developing a team of people to help get us through this next 10 months. 
One, uh, one person has come on board, and I'll be, be excited to share all of this with you as we get a little closer to that time and all that's figured out. So it's a secret right now, but you'll find out soon. Who's going to be with our kids each time they go to children's church? So we're not going to rotate the teaching responsibilities any longer. We want there to be one point person who's really being seen as like the leadership in that position. And I'm excited to have that happen. But we still need our volunteers. So if you've been teaching as a volunteer or if you've been serving in small groups, stuff there with them as volunteers, you're still needed because we're not sending them alone. It's not wise to send one adult with a whole bunch of kids, right? We need another adult and even our youth volunteers. We'll have one adult and one youth volunteer who will be going with them. So we still need your buy-in on that. I'm very thankful for our volunteers and everybody who has been serving up to this point. Now the rest of us, those of you who may not volunteer in the children's ministry, the rest of us, we still have a work to do. We all are going to have to shoulder a responsibility. We need to begin to train ourselves even now, okay? Because when kids get involved, sometimes it gets messy. And sometimes it gets a little noisy. And things are different. And we don't have that wonderful, you know, adult atmosphere where we're all just so mature and wise and we can be quiet like things get different when kids are involved and that's okay we need to begin to train our minds that that's okay that things will be different you are not allowed to snap your head around if you hear a noise in church you're not allowed to whip around and give a glare at who whatever child or parent it, it doesn't matter so raise your right hands with me please say i state your name do solemnly declare, solemnly declare not to whip my neck around, not to whip my neck around and give a glare. glare. Alright, good job. You're training yourself in that. You're going to be okay. Alright, we also need to invest in our relationships with children and families. There's some great research by a lady and a team. Uh, the team's at Fuller University. The lady's name is Kara Powell. And a few years ago they wrote a book called Sticky Faith where they brought research to the church, super valuable research that said what causes, what causes a child to stay involved and connected to the church into their adulthood? What are the key things that have to be there for a child to grow up and as an adult say, I choose to continue this relationship that I have with the Lord and the church? What are those things? The number one thing is out of our control. The number one thing happens at home. It's parents who are involved in their church and who live it out at home. That's the number one thing. You all could have guessed that. That's number one. It has to be real here, and it has to be real at home for them. But the number two thing I find absolutely fascinating. The number two thing is it takes five other adults inside the church to invest in that child's life as an extended parent or grandparent. Five other adults who get involved in a child's life, who know the child by name, who go and attend some of the child's events at schools, be it band or sports or whatever else, who check in with them regularly. Five other adults to come around a child. That's what it takes for a child to stick to the church and to adulthood. That means our responsibility is huge. All right, we did the easy math earlier. Who's really good at multiplication? We have about eight to ten children. Five adults to invest in eight to ten children is how many? 
let's say 10. 40 to 50. Right. 40 to 50 of us have to be involved. 40 to 50 of us have to be involved in children's lives. And not just one child, but multiple children. You got I mean, think about that. It's, it just gets crazy. All right? But we can do that. And so here's what I want you to begin to prepare yourself for. When those Sundays happen that our children sit with us in church, I want you to be the kind of extended parents and grandparents who go to a family that build a relationship with the children to the point where if there's somebody here who's got two or three kids with them, it's tough for a mom or a dad to sit with two or three children who you know may not be used to sitting in the church environment and manage all of that. I want you to welcome and invite and say, would you like to come sit with me on my row? And I want you to have in your pocket a little bag of M&Ms or something like that, you know, where you're just loving on kids and doing that. I want this to be a place and see, and I believe God wants this too. The board wants it. They voted this plan in. That we want to see kids get connected in this familial love and intergenerational worship happen. Can we do it? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. We're, you're going to hear about it every week from here until September when it begins. Because I don't want you caught by surprise. I want you ready to go the first Sunday of September. Okay? You can do it. It's exciting. All right. Now, let's actually preach a sermon. Okay. We've been talking about no small things. In God's hands, there are no small things. God takes little things, be they tangible, like five loaves and a couple of fish, a couple of widows, a mites that she brings as an offering. God takes small things and makes them big in his hands. The application there for us has been that God takes small people and uses them to do big things. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking and studying some of the callings that God has given some different people in Scripture. First, we looked at Moses. And when God called Moses through the burning bush, Moses offered five excuses. He tried every excuse he could think of about why he was not the person that God wanted. To the point where he's begging God at the end, please pick somebody else. Don't choose me. Well, ultimately, Moses relents to the call of God, and God uses him mightily to lead the people out. And all of history, Christian history and uh, secular history, look back on Moses as a definitive leader in history. There are books on leadership written about Moses. We look at the story of Jonah. And Jonah wasn't afraid of the calling that God gave him. He just didn't like God's plan. His heart was not in alignment with God's. He would rather see 150,000 people die at the hands of God than see them come to know the Lord. That's some serious misalignment that's going on there. He runs from the call of God, then he grudgingly follows the call of God, and there's no joy in his story. Then we looked at the story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was born into a family that had a great history in Scripture, and God calls Jeremiah to be a prophet for him. And Jeremiah has a legitimate excuse. He's a very young man at the time. And he says, I can't. I'm just too young. I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't completed the training yet. I don't know what's going on. It's a legitimate excuse. God, how is this possible? I can't understand where you're coming from here. God says to Jeremiah, I'm going with you. We're going to do this thing. And Jeremiah submits to the calling of God and is used in a mighty way. Well, we're going to bring this thing in for a landing this week. 
And we're going to look at a story where the response is a good response, where the response is a, is a beautiful response. And what I tend to notice in Scripture, going back to children for a minute, is that the people who respond the best to the calling of God are the young people. It's people like Mary, where an angel shows up and says, you're going to be the mother of the Son of God. She asks, how can this be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will accomplish this. And her response to that is, may it be unto me as you have said. How beautiful a response from what was probably a 13, 14-year-old girl at the time. Well, today we're going to look at the story of another young person. We're going to look at Samuel. See, the Bible tells us to look at the young people. Paul told Timothy to set an example for the believers in the way that he lived out his life. We're going to look at Samuel and see what Samuel did with the Lord. If you've got your Bibles with you, we're on page 192 in your red Bible in the pew. Page 264 in the blue Bible is Samuel chapter 3. And Samuel is an interesting fella. He's born to this lady named Hannah, who was unable to have children, and she pleaded with God to give her this child. She had this other woman in her life who was making her life miserable, who was making fun of her and, and abusing her because she didn't have a child. And so she pleaded with God, saying, God, if you give me a son, if you give me a child, I will give the child back to you. And the Lord honors her heart there, and she has this boy, Samuel, and she turns Samuel back over to the Lord as a gift to God to serve in the temple. And he's living under the care and instruction of a priest named Eli. He's working in the temple like an adopted son for Eli. And that's where we pick up this, the story in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Samuel's very young, still a boy at this point, and we're going to start with verse 1. It's in your Bible. It's up here on the screens. Let's fill God's house with God's Word and read it together. Let's begin. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the Word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Let me pause there for a minute. That ark is the thing that had like the Ten Commandments in it. It had other things throughout like God's deliverance of the people. This is a very sacred place. You see, we have access to the Holy Spirit now. That's one of the things that God did. Jesus didn't just come to deliver us from our sin. He came to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have access to that. But in this time, the Spirit of God was like zoned in these areas. And this was one of the very holy places where God would move and speak at the time. All right, let's read verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and he lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time the Lord called, Samuel! 
And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, Go and lie down, and if he calls you, say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Let's see, yes. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. Woo! Tingly ear moment. Those are great, aren't they? Here's what we see about Samuel in this story as God calls him. First of all, Samuel has to learn the language of response. If you've got your bulletins with you, that is the first fill in the blank that I've got for you. Samuel needs to learn the language of response. We're going to talk about Eli here for a moment, the priest. There were a lot of things that this guy, Eli, didn't get right. Eli was not a good dad. He let his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, do some terrible things in the temple. There were offerings that would be brought to the temple, peace offerings, and part of the animal was burned, and part of the animal was given to the priest and taken home for the priest to eat. That's how they received some of the, the payment or the, for the work that they were doing there. That's how they survived, was to have some of that to take home. But the best portions were the ones that were put on the altar and given as a sacrifice to the Lord. But Hophni and Phinehas would take their portion and then they'd send somebody over to get some more out. And they would take more than what they were supposed to and they'd take pieces that belonged to the Lord. They had this big fork that they'd thrust into the pot and they'd pull out a piece of meat and take it and they'd get whatever they could have. They were stealing in addition to what they were supposed to have. Now, in addition to that, this offering that would happen was supposed to be sometimes boiled. Now, who knows anything about a nice piece of meat? If you could have a boiled piece of meat or a roasted piece of meat, you would always choose roasted piece of meat. That's right. And so they would go, instead of sticking the fork sometimes into the pot where the meat was boiling and had been boiled out and probably not super flavorful, they would go get the meat before it got put into the pot, before it had been offered in this offering, and they'd take it home, and they'd roast it up, and they'd have it this way. And Eli, their dad, would kind of give them a slap on the wrist, but he never put a stop to it. He never put a stop to it. So Eli certainly has some issues in his story. He has no picture of perfection. But he did get this thing right. Somehow, even though not everything in Eli's life was a picture of perfection, he knew, after being woken from his sleep three times, he knew that the Lord was calling and speaking to Samuel. Now, I have next to no ability to be woken up from a dead sleep and know what's going on. Ashley can verify this. If I'm asleep, I'm asleep. And when it's time to wake up, it takes me a long time to get going and to get a clear head about what's going on. But Eli, this is pretty impressive. He's able to, to come to his senses and know 
that the Lord is calling Samuel. And Samuel doesn't know what to do at this point. Was it Eli calling? Was it someone else? Was it a bad piece of cheese he ate before he went to bed? What's happening for Samuel here? But Eli figures it out, and he gives Samuel the tools to take the next step with the Lord. You, like Samuel and like me, may not have developed the toolkit you need to fully understand God's calling. But Eli has it for Samuel, and I have it for you today. And you're going to be disappointed because it's the same thing that Eli told Samuel. When God is calling, the response, the language of response is, Speak, Lord, I'm listening. Speak, Lord, I'm listening. There are times when I cannot fall asleep. And I've begun to train myself in my life to in those moments to pray this prayer. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Wait and see if maybe there's something that the Lord is trying to tell me. And there's other times where we just need to pull away from the noise of the world and get in the quiet and listen to God. Speak, Lord. I'm listening. Isn't it funny how the majority of our prayer involves the use of our tongue and our lips and our mouths? Like we're making a whole lot of noise in prayer time. But there is a place for this prayer, the language of response to God that says, Speak, Lord, I'm listening. And then zip the lip. Be quiet for a moment. See, what are you doing when you say these words? Speak, Lord, I'm listening. The first thing you're doing is you're inviting God's call into your heart and mind. You're inviting God's call in. This is expressing a willingness, an openness to God's voice. Maybe the reason you don't know what God might be calling you to do is because you aren't willing to let his voice speak into your life. Have you ever heard somebody say, I don't pray for patience? You ever heard somebody say that? Do you know? Okay, you've said it. All right, very good. <laughs> Not very good. I'm sorry for what you're about to hear here. I don't pray for patience. Why do they do that? Why do they say, I don't pray that the Lord will give me patience? Because they say, then the Lord's going to give me something to be patient about. And I don't want to have to deal with that. Probably the same thing is going on here. Speak, Lord, I'm listening is a bold prayer. You are saying, speak to me, God of the universe. And what if it's scary, like Moses faced, going back to a land where there were wanted posters for him hanging up? What if we don't like God's plan, like Jonah, and we don't agree that it's the best thing, that what God should be doing? What if we feel ill-equipped or unable, like Jeremiah, to do what God asks? Speak, Lord, I'm listening, is a bold prayer. And leave it to a boy to be the one in Scripture who's able to pray this prayer when the men are unable to do so. Leave it to a boy to be able to do this. And again, what can we learn from a young person in this? It's a bold prayer. The second thing that this prayer does when we pray it is that it puts us in the posture of commitment. We are committing ourselves to listening. This is a whole other challenge to get into the posture of listening. We have such a difficult time quieting ourselves. We are told by our parents, put on your listening ears. We have to tell that to Deborah all the stinking time. We have to bring her over and like, Deborah, look at me in the eyes. Are your listening ears on? <laughs> and it's tough because like we have these hindrances and these noises in our life and it takes a commitment to get away from the distraction 
some intentional, some not intentional distraction, and commit ourselves to the posture of listening to God. It is a spiritual practice that we have to implement. So, Eli gives him the tools. And then, as the Lord speaks, God begins to confirm this that he has given to Samuel through godly company. He confirms to Samuel that what he says is true through some godly company. So you recall that the last thing that we read that God said was, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. That sounds great. One of my favorite lines out of scripture right there. Sounds really juicy, doesn't it? What's God going to say to Samuel? Well, let's read it together, starting with verse 12. This is God speaking. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. Pause time out here for just a moment. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, what's happening here? God knows that Eli has been giving slaps on the wrist to his boys who haven't been behaving well and have been sinning in the eyes of God. Eli's failed to do this thing and now a boy is being told that guy, that wise man, he is disobeyed and there's punishment coming. What a thing for a boy to shoulder, right? And the, like this is his mentor that God is talking about here. Let's read on. His sons blasphemed God and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. What a word. And here's little Samuel receiving it. He is now anointed as a new prophet for the Lord, a new priest for the Lord. God is choosing him next. And it would be hard to let the boss know what's going on. Samuel gets up at this point and he opens the temple gates and he's doing his chores and he hears his voice again being called early the next morning. Samuel! But this time it's not God's voice calling Eli or calling Samuel. This time it's Eli's voice calling Samuel. Here's what Eli asks Samuel. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Wow! <laughs> what an awkward place for poor Samuel to be in. It's over for Eli. God is calling Samuel. And Samuel's just a kid, and Eli's still the boss. And Eli could take this kid out in a snuff like that, just be done with Samuel. But I've got to give old Eli some type of credit here. Because here is Eli's response upon hearing the things that Samuel had been told from God. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. He affirms what God has said to Samuel and he blesses it. He confirms it. What a guy. And what's the principle here for us? God speaks. And sometimes what God has to say to us is very, very scary. Sometimes it's troubling. Sometimes it's more than we think we can deal with in our lives. There is value in going to godly counsel when God speaks. 
There is value in going to a brother or sister in the Lord and saying, I've been feeling that the Lord has been calling me to this thing. And oftentimes the response of that godly person would be to say, yeah, we've known that for a very long time. I'm glad you're finally hearing that. Sometimes it might be to say, maybe that's not the voice of the Lord you're hearing there. Maybe you're distracted. I've noticed some other things in your life that could possibly be, you know, deviating from where the Lord wants you to be. And, you know, I, I want to be sure that things are right there. Let me pray with you. There's always value. God gives us one another. We are not just people who sit next to each other by coincidence. That's not the purpose of the believer. The purpose of the believer is to work among the body, to be and serve one another. We heard it in our call to worship this morning. The believers are a body. We are united together and we serve one another to see the body succeed. We affirm one another. In another portion of Scripture, Paul says, if everything in the body was just a left foot, where would the eyes be? If everything was just an eyeball, where would the ear be? We serve one another. We edify and strengthen and work in that. And God gives us each other to affirm and confirm His voice in our lives. We as pastors get to experience this in kind of a very practical way in an ordination service. We work through a group called the District Board of Ministerial Development here in the Wesleyan Church. And we, we, you know, these people like examine our lives. We have regular meetings with them to assess out and understand, is this really the call that God has given you on your life to serve the Lord in this way? The best boards are the ones who from time to time say, no, it's not your calling. It's an ambition that you have but it's a selfish ambition. It's not a God-given ambition. Those are the good boards because they're doing their job. And we then, like there's this ordination service that happens where you kneel and people gather around you and lay their hands on you and anoint you to preach the Gospel. It's confirmed in the lives of others. We serve one another. And I just want to... Where is it at here? Right here. Familial love. I'm going to just get that, you know, into our minds. We're not here by coincidence. You're not sitting here with people just because. You're here to serve one another and build one another up. Let's look at the third point that I have for you this morning. Following the call of God is always an adventure. Following the call of God on your life is always an adventure. And for Samuel, his life is one of the most intense and crazy and incredible stories you'd read in the Bible. Samuel is the last judge. So in the season of the of the people of God, Moses delivers them out of Egypt. Then they're you know kind of ruled over or guided by judges. He's the last judge and the first prophet. Paul in the book of Acts calls Samuel God's first prophet in that season. Samuel gets to anoint the first two kings of Israel. He gets to anoint Saul and he gets to anoint David. He gets to go chop off the head of this guy named Agag. It's one of my favorite stories of Samuel where Saul can't do what God's asking him to do. And Samuel steps in and he's like, what is this that's going on here? Hand me a sword. I'll do it. And the preacher gets to take the sword and slice somebody's head off. It's a real, you know, inspiring story for me as a pastor. 
He gets to do all of these things and his life is an incredible adventure. Following God will always take us to places that we never would have expected ourselves to go. It'll take us to places we had never expected ourselves to be. I want us to close. We're going to take communion today, but before we do, I want us to sing this chorus. I'm going to invite Rhonda to come and lead us in this. This chorus is a gospel chorus. I don't know the verses at all. I've only ever heard the chorus. But it's a chorus that I remember an elderly man named Melvin Gentry praying over me as a young boy. I was in this revival type meeting and the pastor had given this altar call and I went down and I was just like 12 at the time. I don't remember. But I'd gone down to the altar and he prayed over me and he said, Matthew, the Lord may be calling you to something. Now I didn't like say that wasn't like the defining moment where I was like, I'm going to be a pastor or anything like that. Just was this sense that God may be doing something in my life. And he said, Matthew, I just want to give you some words to say. They come from this song, this chorus. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. I'll say, yes, Lord, yes, I will trust you and obey. When the Spirit speaks to me with my whole heart, I'll agree. And my answer will be yes, Lord, yes. We're going to sing that song together. Then I'm going to invite John to come up. And we're going to sort of go through some of the motions of this by the taking and receiving of communion. See, when we take and we receive communion, what we're doing is we're putting something tangible that reminds us and, 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 and works on our minds to say there's a little bit of Christ in you. We don't believe that this bread turns into Christ or anything like that, but it is a great reminder that Christ can come live in us and speak to us and move us and give us a calling and a purpose. So we're going to take communion in a sense of contemplation, but also with a sense of joy. I don't want this to be a solemn or somber time, but rather an exciting time to say, we've been working for weeks going through, what is God calling us to do? Let this be the time where your spirit and your heart is saying, I will join hands with Christ and say, yes, Lord, yes. Will you stand with me? Jesus, when he was with his disciples in the upper room, just before he would be betrayed and ultimately hung on the cross and buried in the tomb, Jesus was with his disciples and they were taking the Passover meal and there was like these strict kind of traditions in how you would do Passover. There were different things that were supposed to happen during that meal. And Jesus interrupted the flow of the way things usually go. And he took the bread that was in front of them, and he broke it. And this wasn't in the script. He broke that bread and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take and eat it, each of you. And he passed the bread around and the disciples took and were very confused. What is Jesus doing here? Later in the meal, he got to the cup and he lifted it up and he said, this, this is my blood that is poured out for you. Take and drink, each of you. Again, off script, not something that normally would happen during a Passover meal. And the disciples took and drank it, not realizing what Jesus was ultimately doing and would only find out just a few short hours later that His body would be broken for them and that His blood would be shed for them. As we take communion as believers, what we are doing is taking something tangible to remind us of that, that this is Christ who wants to come and live in us and work through us. He wants to cover us with His blood as an atonement for sin. 
We're going to take communion this morning by intinction, which means, John, go ahead and come on up here. I'm going to, now one of us is going to have the cup and one of us is going to have the bread. And what you're going to do is you're going to take and tear off a piece of that bread. And when you do so, you're going to remember that Christ's body was broken for you. John's going to say, Christ's body broken for you. There's a response if you'd like to say it. What you say is, thanks be to God. Then you're going to come to the cup. I'll be holding the cup and you're going to take that piece of bread and you're going to dip it in the cup. You can go ahead and eat it at that point. I'll say to you, the blood of Christ shed for you. And this response to that, if you'd like to say it, is thanks be to God. Everybody who is seeking to walk right with the Lord and live a life that is open to the calling of God, whether you're a Wesleyan or not, this is for you. This is something that we as believers share in common. I need a little bit more help this morning. For those of you who volunteer in the nursery who may be here with us this morning, when you have received communion, would you mind walking over to the nursery and swapping out a space with one of the workers there in the nursery? And maybe the same with our kids. When a few of you who may have done children's stuff and you've received this, would you walk back and grab our leaders and our children and invite them to come into the sanctuary and receive these together with us? We're going to do this in two stages today. I'm going to start with the overflow. And if you would, come out of your rows as you're able to your right. Walk up to the front. You'll receive the elements and come back to this left-hand side and have a seat. If you can't stand to receive it, we'll bring it to you at the end of that time. Then we'll move here to the center, two sections to the pews. You'll come up the center aisle to receive these elements and you'll return to your seats via the side aisle. So let's pray. God, thank you for what you have given to us here. This is a very tangible reminder of what you want to do in us. You want what we have to be yours and to be used by you. And God, this is a, this is just a hands-on moment of that. So as we receive communion this morning, I pray that we would do so with the anticipation in our hearts, with the, with the prayer on our lips that Samuel had to say, speak, Lord. I'm listening. And God will join you on whatever adventure you want to take us on. And it's in Christ's wonderful name that we pray. Amen. Amen.